0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit hyundaiusa.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.
1: Hoot, hoot!
0: Blitz is defined as a sudden savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered, none acceptable.
1: Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure Athlete yeah. i transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are a full of that, man. right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to be damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe, and I had a Ron Burgundy moment when we started. I've seen an anchor man where he's got ribs in his teeth, and he's trying to do a new yes. and like granola in my teeth, eating my breakfast out of a wrapper on the way up here. So. But, nevertheless, I'm good to go. Let's roll along. Let's get it. Uh, one week from today, it'll be game week. We not only made it through the offseason, we made it through the preseason through scrimmage number two. We've got details on that at Horns 24-7, and we will talk about a lot of it here on this latest edition of Longhorn Blitz. Let me bring in the rest of the team who will do it with me. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and the daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? Doing very well. And the third member of our team, he is our lockdown corner on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 48. Where he earned his degree. Whenever that T ring comes in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card carrying member of DBU. And when you get that all-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts. Mr. Rod Babers. Thanks for the intro, brother. No Appreciate problem, that. Rod B. Uh it, wherever you're listening to this podcast, however you're listening, we just thank you so much for enjoying another edition of Longhorn Blitz. If you want to subscribe to the Blitz, if you are not a subscriber, Anywhere you get your podcasts Search Horns 24-7 Click the follow button To get every episode of Longhorn Blitz When it drops on Tuesday mornings Also get over to Horns 24-7 For the latest and greatest in Longhorn news Notes and nuggets on the team front And in recruiting Gentlemen Let's talk about it Second scrimmage is in the books And we're back to square one At the quarterback situation (laughs) And It's the opposite of being back at square one where we were coming out of the first scrimmage in terms of looking at it from the outside in. Coming out of the first scrimmage, it was either one of these guys had a great day. uh, Nobody separated themselves. It's all going to come down to the second scrimmage. Well, here we are coming out of the second scrimmage where both of them apparently looked really good. All indications, Steve Sarkeesian seemed in a much better mood after scrimmage two. And then our reporting at Horns 24-7, the staff, we talked to multiple sources that both had moments where they looked really good. Ka- Hudson card had the stronger start to the scrimmage. Casey Thompson had the stronger finish. Both led the off- the number one offense on touchdown drives. Casey Thompson led the number twos on a couple of drives. Mm-hmm. So Rod, here we are. Here we are. As we sit here today and record this podcast, we are 12 days away from the opener. I'm leaning one way on who I think probably should be the starter for this team. But in terms of who I think Steve Sarkeesian should pick, who he needs to pick, man, I don't know. It is still too close to call. Is that good or bad, Rod? Uh, I think you know, Sarkeesian would tell you it's a good
2: thing because he'll – I think he's spinning it as he's got two starting caliber guys, which I, I believe is probably the case. I mean, if you got two guys that if they went other places in the country and transferred, they – as a, there's a likelihood they could end up being the starting quarterback there at one point. Right. Uh, the concern is that you haven't had them separate, but now it's not as concerning because after the second scrimmage you did have both quarterbacks play well. The offense is actually were able to move the ball to make it pl- make plays, have explosive plays in the passing game. Uh, there was rhythm to the and timing to the passing game. Ball got out on time. All a lot of things that you know are essential, a lot of elements are essential to Steve Sarkeesian's offense, so that's a good thing. Now, you just know, now it's a first world problem. At first, I was thinking, man, you might have a third world problem where there's no separation, it's a battle of attrition. It's not going to be that now. You're talking, I think you're talking about a true quarterback competition. He said they had the best week that he's seen from the quarterbacks, that includes the spring and training camp. So I'm optimistic that Sark who's a quarterback guy who really doesn't have a I don't think he has a a, a smudge or a negative on his quarterback resume. I mean, I mean he got
1: Jake Locker drafted in the first round. Yeah, like he's yeah, I' said he's <laughs> exactly
2: like he's excelled at quarterback development and he himself being a quarterback, quarterback evaluation is also something he's excelled at. So I think he's gotta make the right choice. And something else he said in the post the media, the, post, uh, the media availability after the scrimmage and I, I loved it he said uh, the question basically was you know about the quarterbacks and I think it was the one about um first year quarterbacks it was from Anwar Richardson actually it was a good question about first year quarterbacks and how you approach first year quarterbacks as opposed to quarterbacks later on like veteran quarterbacks and he said you know I'm always looking at the strengths of the quarterbacks things they do well and that's how I'm going to build the offense Mm -hmm. I'm not going to put them in a position where they're going to have to execute plays they're uncomfortable with he said we'll practice those types of plays over and over again throughout the season until their comfort level gets Mm -hmm. to a point where they're like hey coach I want to run that play but he said we won't run things that the, the, I
1: got the for The
2: quarterback know. isn't comfortable with, and it just got me thinking about, I've heard Lincoln Riley also echoed that same sentiment about quarterback-friendly offenses. And it just I just started thinking about Tom Herman, how oftentimes you'd have Sam Ellinger, you know, in a situation where something, you know, you can run something really well and something could be working and Tom Herman would go away from it. And he would go to something less effective that Sam, obviously, just from the, uh, the you know the layman's eye, could see that he wasn't comfortable with. But it was some, it was a term, Hummer and Staple. Mm-hmm. So we got to go with it. And it's st- it was nonsensical. But Sark isn't going to be yeah. that nonsensical.
1: Um, so he, he, in terms of that question, he kind of went on a, a soliloquy about... No, he's, he, uh, he's doing that more, and I love it. As developing. A just dev- He turned it into, hey, here's my thoughts on just developing yeah, quarterbacks. Yeah, it was good. And basically, he said, as you pointed out, Rob, what it boils down to is figuring out the quarterback's strengths and then mm-hmm. accentuating the strengths. Yep. Uh, the quote here is, it's not about what I know or what plays have the best design. It's what plays operate the best and what plays they're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's it. Done. Sounds sounds like something we've the talked about a lot the, the last three or four years. Just that simple. But yeah, it's that's really, what it really boils down to. And, you know, I, I've said this. I've talked about it on the site. I've said it on my show, Unlike the Tower. Uh, if I, I'm i leaning towards Hudson Card, I think, being the better option at some point in 2021, if not right off the bat, because I like the idea of this offense does have upside, and I think there's a lot of growth potential for this offense. It's not going to be look like a finished product game one. Or game two, but if this group can hit a trajectory, it, it, it kind of reminds me of. Imagine the twenty seventeen offense. <laughs> if Connor Williams doesn't get hurt, and you ha and and Deontay Foreman had come back for his senior year, that's a much more formidable offense, right?
2: Yeah.
0: Then what?
1: With a plus? legitimate NFL. Yeah, but I don't prospect. know if the wide receivers are are now as good as. A, little, little Jordan Huff, a young Colin Devin Johnson DuVernay A young, and young Colin Devin, Johnson. Devin DuVernay But then again, we talked, we, when we talked yeah. in 17 about how Why are guys not on the field at the same time Or at certain yeah. times I mean, that was Tom Harmon's rigidity Well, Jordan Humphrey was producing Yet why is he still the backup X receiver Yada, yada, yada So yeah. that that to me is kind of how I, I see this offense I think it's a lot like the 2017 offense In that I, it, it's got a nice upside to it Initially, there's not going to be a very large margin for error For this group But Similar to that offense, and and, you know, Sam Ellinger's concussion kind of hampered that, but it looked at one point like, hey, maybe this thing has a chance to really grow with Sam Ellinger as a quarterback, knowing Tom Herman's system and what he values in quarterbacks. Sam Ellinger seems like a good fit. I just think, Rod, it goes back to what we've heard Sark say about quarterbacks in terms of he likes a guy with quick hands, getting the ball out quick, getting it to your playmakers in space, throwing guys open, yards after the catch, being precise. Hudson Card, in terms of the skill set, fits a lot of that. And I, I just feel like, the, again, the opportunity you've got. You've got a game breaker like Bijan Robinson, who is kind of mm-hmm. your security blanket at this point. You've got, you don't have David Thomas and Bo Skafe in the tight end room, but you've got two tight ends you feel good about. The offensive line, I've talked about it a lot. I, I think that group has a chance to be, uh, It's it's it always has the most upside of any position group on your roster just because of the nature of the position. But I, I think that group's got a chance to to put something together that you can look at at the end of the year and be like, hey, it wasn't too bad of a year for the offensive line. We talked about the question marks of receiver. In all that word salad, I say all that to say this, if it's still close, mm-hmm. I think Hudson Card is the best play in terms of growing the offense for a first-year head coach. But, Rod, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to start the first ball game. And I keep going back to the fact that, look – the safer play to me is Casey Thompson because I think it's always better look if you if you go with Casey Thompson and if he's good then okay let him let him ride it out until you need to go make a change. Likewise I think it's more palatable if you go with Casey Thompson and he really struggles at some point it's I think it, it's just more palatable I've said this before to just go to the younger guy. So I don't know I, that's kind of where I'm at. I think for the growth of the offense, And for a first-year coach establishing a program, I think Hudson Card is the better play. I think the safer play is Casey Thompson. Yeah, I don't think um,
2: Sarks... I don't think he's gonna think about making a change during the season. I I think he's a quarterback, and I think he's looking. Uh, and I, that's not really in his history either.
1: I got that vibe, l- and just picking up some clue, picking up some context clues in the yes. post scrimmage availability.
2: Only yeah. out of injury, if there's an mm-hmm. injury, of course, if he has no choice. But this i, will not, I don't think if quarter, quarter, this will not be a two. will not be a quarterback. I don't think. It, yeah, I don't think if a quarterback struggles, that he is going to pull that quarterback. His assumption will be, all right, I'm just going. He's a problem solver. I'm just going to fix it. Mm-hmm. um it just it, it, it'll be my play calling or it'll be uh making an adjustment based on the strategy tactics personnel groupings whatever that stuff is whatever he decides but that's why, how he's gonna look at it. he's not gonna look at it as all right I gotta I gotta make a quarterback change here because he's a quarterback himself yeah. he probably has had a point where he struggled and he's gonna put himself in that position and think nah, I don't want to pull that guy now because the quarterback competition was so close I'm sure there will be, you know, a lot of the tail, a tail attempting to wag the dog where the fans, if the quarterback is struggling, the fans will want something different. Or, you know, even, you know, some coaches may decide, you know, they want to tell Sark like, hey, man, I think the other option may work. Sark's not going to go that route. There are so many different cheat codes within the Sark offense. I don't to me, I I don't think that the quarterback who gets a starting job is going to struggle. I think that you're going to see kind of a steady incline as to their productivity and their efficiency and comfort within the offense. Now, are they going to become, you know, the all big, big 12, um, you know, all American quarterback? I don't know because I don't know where they're going to start and where they're going to finish. But I don't see Sark making a quarterback move. And I don't see that quarterback struggling based either one, actually. But I agree with you. I think Hudson Carter has won the quarterback competition in the offseason, in my opinion. And considering he's younger, uh, that would give him a higher upside. My assumption was Casey Thompson would separate a little bit because he seemed to have more advantages, and Hudson Card kept it close, mostly working with the second team until recently when he was given a majority of the first team reps. We
1: could go today, yeah.
2: Yeah, so I think because I think Sark's looking at it for them, saying, "Man, if I just if he gets more reps and more comfort uh, within the offense that." begin to blossom as a quarterback. So I think, I think he's leaning Hudson Card personally right now, in my opinion. And I predicted before the season, I think, that Casey Thompson was going to be the guy. Because I think the, my assumption was there's going to be more chaos within mm. that offense and there's going to be more of a crisis within that offense. But maybe he's looking at it going, I got Bijan. Like, doesn't matter what crisis – I, you know, in whatever crisis ends up affecting the offense or some chaotic moment, I can always just go, okay, let's just get back to Bijan. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. All right,
2: everybody okay? It's simple. Whatever, it's <laughs> pretty simple. Right? Oh, we just turned, somebody turned it over. Oh, we got a lot of penalties. All right, all right, guys, we're getting back to Bijan. So, mm-hmm. I just think it'll be, it's always going to be easy what the default is going to be for the offense whenever time,
0: anytime they're out of rhythm. And he's a guy that makes it so easy to get it into his playmakers' hands. But when we're talking about these specific quarterbacks in the situation, the way it's played out and where it can go, if you look at these two guys, we're hearing the reports like both are being successful. Well, if both are being successful in this situation, it really is going to come down to what Sark values and what yep. will be the most valuable plays. It's sort of what we hit on last week. But, I really think that if it comes down to making that decision, it isn't necessarily who's going to perform the best in the practice as a whole. It's in which plays which situational uh, down and distance scenarios certain throws certain schemes probably guys that are better out of play action better footwork better rpo type situations those are the things that'll be the tipping point to decide because then you add on the reliability because if you have a really good play caller you have a really good offense the only thing that can screw it up is some type of inconsistency like inaccuracy or something along those lines so as As long as you end up being able to go out there and not not be rudimentary, but just be able to perform within the framework of the offense and then you can perform those higher value plays at a better level, that's going to be the deciding factor. And it's basically going to come down to who he can trust in those ideas of accuracy and not making mistakes and then that tipping point being those value plays.
1: One thing that I think is key to mention, and first off, Based on everybody we talked to at Horns twenty four seven coming out of the scrimmage, I think Sark downplayed like how good the offense was on Saturday. Like mm-hmm. I heard it was just, it was a complete one eighty from <laughs> the Saturday scrimmage, the previous scrimmage where the defense dominated mm-hmm. and didn't really let the offense do a whole lot. Apparently the offense was moving the ball up and down the field and multiple touchdown drives. And the encouraging thing So two from, lopsided scrimmages. Yeah. Which is really interesting. Hold that thought, right? Yeah. Hold that thought. Cause I want to I get back to that in a second. Is there a vanilla? But I, I asked a source. <laughs> I said, I said so. I said, was the defense kind of holding back? Because that's the a, a question a lot of people have. Okay, was the defense kind of holding back a little bit? And how it was phrased back to me, the answer, the response was, I think you can make the case the offense was holding back in the first scrimmage. Okay, which is interesting. It's so yeah, that is interesting. I'll I'll hold I'll pause my thought, but Rod, two lopsided scrimmages. Really, mm-hmm. that's what we're talking about. What yeah. do you What do you make of that? Um,
2: yeah, I mean, because it, it, it makes cause me feel I,
1: better about the I, offense on one hand, but on the other hand, it makes me kind of just wonder. It's kind of uneasy. Well, because Bucky
2: Bucky Godbo made a really good point. You know, because Bucky was a coach for a long time. And he's, he talked about how coaches, and I, I know coaches, coaches manipulate practices. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. They do. They manipulate them for different reasons. I, I don't know what the motive could be for COVID. But they do. It's a great story. Sure. A great story about the uh, the first dream team right and they played the mm-hmm. the college all-star oh, the team, team. Yeah. right yeah. and in that team in that they, we won't get into details but that college select all-star team beat the dream team yep. in this little scrimmage they had uh Chuck Daly I believe Daly, was yeah. the coach I think coach K was actually one mm-hmm. of his assistants and coach Calusa K later day, said right? Man, Chuck Daly manipulated that whole thing and mm-hmm. took he took MJ out like late in the scrimmage and kind of manipulated they didn't, they didn't the lineups pick up, they didn't a
1: little pick up bit. People full court, yeah. And...
2: So because he, he just wanted to motivate them. Now, I don't think he thought they were gonna you know the college also was gonna beat the Dream Team. Uh, they played them later, obviously, and Dream Team beat them I think by fifty or 60. As Char- he I
1: heard Charles Barkley put in a documentary. They scrimmaged the next day. He said we basically beat them by a hundred.
2: Yeah, they they <laughs> massacred them later on. So obviously it was it was you know, more of Chuck Daly and what he was doing to manipulate the practices and the scrimmages because he had some motivation. And Bucky was talking about that too on B&E and he was like, well, um you know, you want, and I, I agree with this, you know, he said, you know, coaches... I wonder if he wanted to shock the offense with the first scrimmage that he didn't really like the lack of you know lack of urgency with the offense that he wanted to mm-hmm. shock. He needed Makes them, sense. you know, that he wanted so maybe coach
0: K to bring it and yeah,
2: like maybe him yelling and screaming wasn't enough. That he needed them actually to to get slapped in the face. Right, everybody's got a plan, so they get punched in the mouth and then they got punched in the mouth and then that motivated them mm-hmm. once again to like refocus, rededicate themselves, crystallize their focus. And I think that that was part of it too. And you don't want your offense to be to lack confidence coming out of training camp training camp's officially done if any group has to suffer you know what i mean for the overall good of the team it's usually going to be the defense. Let's yeah. be honest. Trust me as a guy who played defense. <laughs> if anybody ever gets screwed over and shafted in practice, mm-hmm. it's the defense. Yeah,
0: you're so, the ones that can't hit. You're yeah, the ones yeah. that so can't So I can see Sark saying,
2: all right, you know what? I gave my defense their boost in the first practice, mm-hmm. uh, in the first scrimmage, I mean. In the second scrimmage, he's like, all right, offense, I need them to be feeling good about themselves. It's game week. Uh we talked that preparation, so I need confidence going out, especially with my quarterbacks. So I'm 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 calling the plays, but I'm also game planning against Quitkowski's defense. The guy I know very well, because I studied him, because mm-hmm. I wanted to really hire him, and I've coached against him. So yeah, you you call your plays, mm-hmm. I'll call my plays, and I know the personnel now, so I know who to attack. And the offense always has the advantage from that standpoint. I wouldn't doubt if he made Quitkowski script it. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't doubt if he was like, hey, hey, PK, I need your script, man. you my script. Yeah, I need your script. You need Mm -hmm. my script, coach? Yeah, I need your script, coach. Mm -hmm. Damn. (laughs) Then you know you're about to get slaughtered. (laughs) You got the script. So I wouldn't doubt the first one. That's what I'm saying. Coaches don't theory. coaches manipulate practice situations and for their own motive. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: For sure. Um, So there's that part of it, just kind of two lopsided scrimmages. What do you make of it? And I, I like the way you put that out there. I like even, you know, we. And it can. My be, boys, you can't make anything of it. You do right. We don't know. We don't know It could be he's, he's, manipulated based on based on situations. It could be a situation a deal where hey, de- we need this scrimmage. We need to come out of the scrimmage. Defense really needs a lot of third down work. So it could be nothing but third and whatever working different third d- exactly down right. distances or distances Way on point. third down. Whatever. Yep. It, it, said you can manipulate a scrimmage in a number of different ways. Yeah. Um. But going back to the quarterbacks real quick. This is something you mentioned earlier, Rod. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I because I'm kind of on the same page you are in terms of Sark's really not panicking because you've got to fall back with Bijan. I, I don't think either of these quarterbacks significantly raises the wind ceiling for what I perceive this team to be. Okay, but I don't know that either one of these quarterbacks is going to significantly lower what I think the floor for this team is either. Great point. In other words, if you tell me at the end of the year Texas is eight and four or nine and three, I could see either of these guys doing that. Being your quarterback to an eight nine win regular season.
2: I agree with that. I think you hit the, yeah, I think that's maybe why Sark is so comfortable and, too. That's why he's that. Is mm-hmm. it's why at this point he's like, Oh, I'm gonna pick a quarterback, but you know, I don't need I'm not rushing it. I'm yeah, no, rush. and I'm not
1: gonna tip my hand and, and tell I our t- opponent t- what either. you got. Yeah, if it's a ten and likewise, if it's a ten win team, then I don't know that Casey Thompson or Hudson Cardinal necessarily be the reason why. I think it'll be because Bijan Robinson had an exceptional year, and mm-hmm. you really developed some guys and found some playmakers, at wide receiver, and the defense is forcing a lot of turnovers. Is good. Likewise, yep. if it's a seven-win team, or, man, I hope we're not talking about a six-win team this year, but we've <laughs> seen stranger things happen around this place. I don't think the quarterback is going to be the reason why. I think it'll be because you didn't find playmakers at wide receiver, and the offensive line didn't come together, and this defense that lost a ton of production didn't find guys that can Mm -hmm. go get the ball. So to your point, Rod, and I don't think the quarterback position is going to be the reason. It's not going to be the catalyst for success or failure for this team,
2: that's if you're not living in the extremes. Yeah,
1: I if will say that if Texas is gonna
2: if Texas wins is gonna win the Big Twelve, mm-hmm. or if Texas is gonna be in a college football playoff conversation, and none of us believe that's gonna be the a case. Bowl. But if they are, it's gonna be because one of those quarterbacks has to. When I mean, they have to have an exceptional season. Yeah. And I think to that's why none that of us point, are having yeah. that conversation. We're like, we don't see exceptional there. Or if there's gotta be a if a quarterback uh move has to be made because the quarterback is playing so badly, just has a disastrous start. And Sark's like, Holy Chicago, I didn't see this happening. Um and that'd be extreme too. And then you end up in your seven win season or something, which nobody Hope happens to Sark in his first year, so all of the but those are those are the extremes, and nobody anticipates extremes. Right. Yeah, we're all anticipating some kind of moderate pro, uh, product here, mm-hmm. right? That uh, no, they're gonna win eight to nine games, and you know they're gonna lose three to four games. Anything outside of that, though, uh, I think we would see as extreme. Like, man, you lose you lose five games like that—that's a problem.
1: Yeah, I think and, I think for this team, I think eight and four is that gray area.
2: I'm at nine. I'm at nine. I think, well, anything, I think. I think. Yeah. If,
1: I think eight and four is a gray area in terms of you could spin it either way. That's true. That point. I, agree I think with that. the or fans you will say, be hey, quite upset point. with eight and you four. Know, though I agree with Matt. <laughs> I'm with you. I think
2: well, the fans. That fans are gonna be upset that after nine and three. The tipping point. That's the yeah. tipping point of oh, is this the right hire? Like I think we, that's when yeah. they start questioning. Like 8-4, know, they
1: start questioning. Like, we know 9-3 and three going into bowl season. I think a lot of fans take that. Hell, hey, yeah. It's a, chance to go a thing, good season man. for a first-year really coach. Season. Likewise, 7-1 season, we just fired a guy that won mm. seven, seven and games, five, guys. and i think that's how a lot of fans <laughs> right? like, see it yeah yeah exactly right we, we just we're another five lost season just added on to the the, <laughs> the, the numerous <laughs> with ones a brand new stadium in the oh, last yeah. decade Sa-
2: the same old team brand all new stadium the hype. <laughs> yeah.
1: but eight eight and four, eight and four is that be, that's a gray area where is it a success is it a failure it's a little bit of both yeah i don't know yeah. Yeah, that's true. But that's a good point. That's about, then to me, you it's going to be how it aloud. looks. Then yeah. that's
2: about how it looks, right? That's about how did that Oklahoma game look? How did that, you know, how did that game against Louisiana look early on in the season? How did that game against Arkansas look? How did that game against Oklahoma State, TCU, how yep. did that game look? At Iowa State, that's when we'll get back to the eye test. And you'll be able to tell off the eye test. I think Longhorn fans are smart football fans. They'll be able to tell, like, damn, mm-hmm. you got out coached. And three of them losses. You know what I mean? Like, that, that, not just out-coach, like, actually out-coach-coach. Coach, like, looks like. Like, some of those sounds times I remember you went, damn, did they prepare it all? What mm-hmm. was that? <laughs> that, they didn't have a game plan that worked initially, and didn't have a contingency plan after that. Mm. Like that was really bad. The, the, you know, what I mean, did the, they Gary, Gary Patterson actually those know are the accelerants. Plays? Yeah. So I think that's what that's what's going to be about. Like, you can't get severely outcoached. Mm-hmm. You can't have those coyote ugly losses by twenty-one plus points. Yeah. You can't have those or losing
0: to somebody you just shouldn't lose to. Because any of those type of accelerants are the things exactly. that will make things look worse than they actually are. And that's why I sort of like where you hear like when Sark talking about the situation he's serious that we have two quarterbacks and that really does matter because that gives you a huge margin for error for injury because we've seen situations and quarterbacks especially you know these days it's just is what you ask a quarterback to do is so much in the offense I mean your success is directly tied to it so at least having that luxury can help you maybe you know survive something if you go down because that's the last thing that you want to do is be stuck in a situation where we're talking about who's this number three guy because nobody Nobody even cares about that right now that's true
1: yeah i uh like i said i i'm just i'm still thinking about eight and four and just that being you know the gray area for this team and it's interesting rod like you said you know not not all records are cre- i know there's the whole bill parcells as you are what your record says <laughs> you are well I, i'm a believer in that not not all records are created equal agreed like you, you know last year people could look at it and say well texas just fired a coach that you know Mm-hmm. Played had ten games and won seven of them. That's a pretty good year. Well, no, because context is king, right? Yeah. The TCU loss shouldn't happen. I contend the Oklahoma loss was Oklahoma very avoidable. Mm-hmm. The Iowa State loss was very avoidable. If you'd have just yeah. given yeah. Bijan you- Robinson continue to feed him the football, you probably win the Iowa State game. Those are all yeah. marginal <clears> losses <throat> where plus huge. <clears throat> yep. Excuse me. Plus you have a fan base that had already they'd seen. They'd yeah. seen kind of the worst of the Tom Herman era. Yeah.
2: Got changed your coaching staff already. Changed up the coaching <laughs> staff.
1: Yeah. And I, I think there was a decent portion of the fan base that Tom Herman lost after the second Maryland loss.
2: Uh, oh, yeah. Just I, didn't trust him. I totally Tom agree point. with you on that, Just too. Yeah, but so, you're right. But this, I think, senior quarterback down Oklahoma, that was your year. Yeah you're mm-hmm. supposed to win it and you didn't. Oklahoma bench their damn quarterback. That's why not that's why
1: not all records are are created Exactly. As we start to think about what this team can do. I I want to get y'all's take on this cuz I thought about this coming out of the second scrimmage and I I still think early on as you're still and you mentioned coaching, Rod, the coach you're you're going your first two games. Say okay. what you want about Louisiana, or mm-hmm. are, were they over? Are we overrating them based on last year? If you really look at the numbers, how good were they last oh, year? Man. But we know Billy Napier and that staff. There's some damn good coaches.
2: Oh, he'll be coaching. He might
1: be the next coach at
2: LSU if they if Ed O yeah. don't get it together. So Billy Napier can coach, mm-hmm. and he went through that next Nick Saban coaching
1: car wash just like Sark. After, he's a real deal. After getting fired by Dabo Swinney mm. as the offensive coordinator, there you go. Great invention, yeah. yeah. And they were, and they. I think what helps Sark is. They were together in that Alabama offensive meeting room in 16. Sark was an analyst. Billy Napier was an assistant coach. So Sark knows to an extent what Billy Napier is all about as a football coach and what he values. That's good. haven't been around mm-hmm. him. That's so, good. But, so, but that's a game where we talked about it. Texas should win that game, but that's not a game where you can just roll out of bed and throw the helmet out there and say, all right, let's go win a football game. No, you have to sweat a little bit. And then we know, look, say what you want about Arkansas –
2: I, I, th- home, I do man. think
1: we're overcooking Arkansas because, again, I think we thought they were going to be so bad last year. And the fact that pretty much every game they played except the Alabama game, they were competitive. It's like, oh, man, our, Arkansas had a really good year. Well, I think you could attribute that to Sam Pittman, and we know Kendall Bryles can coach offensive football. Yep. We know Barry oh, Odom can coach, can coach defensive, defensive football. football. So line. from a coaching standpoint, you're you're going to be in a really good chess match from the those first two games. Mm-hmm. And I still think, and I, this is where I'm going with this. You guys correct me if you think I'm wrong. I think early, breaking in a new quarterback, not really sure what you've got at receiver. And keep in mind, at receiver right now, I think Jordan Whittington's going to be okay. But he's had a little bit of hamstring tightness, was held out of the scrimmage on Saturday. Troy O'Meary's dealing with a knee issue. Sark said it could be yeah. it's more like weeks, not months, that he's going to mm-hmm. be back. So he'll be back at some point relatively soon. But still got issues at receiver. All that said, I think this team's going to have to win ugly early. I think they're going to have to rely on the running back room, See that? More, more 12 personnel, get the quarterbacks comfortable, rely on your defense, mm-hmm. special teams with Cameron Dicker doing the place kicking and the punting. Yes, yeah, a lot. With Deshaun Jameson and Xavier Worthy and B. John Robinson, if you need him. all the, the speed and athleticism you've got at the safety and linebacker mm-hmm. positions. Man, your, your coverage in return units should be – um, among, if not the best in the Big 12. It should
2: be stellar, actually. Yeah. Because you, so you got so much more speed now. Yeah. Seth Sark's like, that's one of the fingerprints he's put on the team initially was that with Keelan Robinson coming in, whether you put him at running back or wide receiver, speed there, Xavier Worthy, speed there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the things he's wanted to emphasize. So that, you know, that'll pop you some big plays, but I'm with you. I agree. Defense, and I, I think specifically rush defense. I don't understand defense, but I'm a little concerned with coverage. Uh, I know they got, they're deep there and talented there. Uh, but, you got
1: to see it to believe it, though.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm a little concerned just because you start, look, you know, one of the things I stated about PK, and I think PK's great, love me some PK. I can't, I, actually, I, I've been on record saying I like the PK hire more than I like the Sark hire. <laughs> Maybe <me laughs> like Sark hire more because he hired <laughs> PK. <laughs> right, so I'm a big fan. I always loved what Washington did. But him and Jimmy Lake were a wonderful pairing. They mm-hmm. They were just a. They were fantastic. The way they would pair up coverage, Uh, Jimmy Lake would pair up his coverage with the the really creative fronts of PK. And around 2016 or 2017, right around there, you know, Jimmy Lake started basically dictating dictating what the coverage would be. And in this day and age as you know, the, with the widespread pace and space spread offenses, coverage dictates the front. Mm-hmm. So essentially the guy that's your pass game coordinator, you know, a, a lot of the time it's what his call is is what determines all right, what kind of front you're going to run. And with PK, you know, him and Jimmy Lake, that was, like I said, that was one of the best combinations in the country defensively of defensive coverage with really creative, elaborate fronts. Now it's just PK calling it, uh, I'm assuming, unless Terry Joseph's going to do that, and I doubt it. I think, and if it is, that's also another question, right? right? Uh, But you don't have Jimmy Lake, and now you're going into a conference, in my opinion, that's a better pass game conference than the Pac-12. And PK has lost what was kind of his ace in the hole when it came to New age coverage, which was Jimmy Lake, and also development of defensive backs, which was Jimmy Lake. So you don't have that element. Hmm. I'm not saying P.K. can't do it because P.K. had you know a stellar resume before he got with Jimmy Lake. But it did go to a different level. You can go look at the defensive production. I'm not making that up. So that is one of my concerns. And Texas coverage this year. The truth is Brennan Schooler, based on pro football focus coverage gauge, is probably your best coverage guy in the secondary. I know that sounds crazy. But But he's got the highest he's got the highest coverage mm great. He's been good. He's been good in camp. (laughs) I know, but I'm just saying like you don't my point is you don't have a lot of great coverage guys back there. I know the corners are expected to have a big year this year because they're both seniors, but based on last year, those corners were a liability most of the year, not an asset Mm
1: -hmm. defensively.
2: You have to protect them. And you don't want to have to do it this year. Right. So
1: Yeah. That's my concern. Yeah. The, and and uh, that's a valid concern because, uh, getting back to your point, Rod, PK Specialty. If you just if you want to confirm it, just Google him and pull up his Wikipedia page. He's a defensive front guy.
2: Yeah, oh, an amazing yeah.
1: one, yep. one of the best in the country. I mean, you look Period. at guys he developed at Boise State. Chief among them, Demarcus Lawrence. Yep. I mean, he he's he's been really really good with defensive fronts. But no that that's been my major question defensively. And Rod, you and I talked about that in the spring. It's like okay. That relationship with he and Terry Joseph tying the front end with the back end, like you have to have that. Like think about even though it was. It was uh, the big, I wouldn't call it the primitive age of spread offenses in the Big 12, but it's really like 2008 to me. If you look at the Big 12, yeah, that's really the Mm -hmm. year I think where the genesis of space and pace offenses dominating the conference. I agree. That that was Art Brow's first year at Baylor. I agree. Right? That that. was the apex of the air raid under Mike Mm -hmm. Leach. Mm -hmm. Oklahoma had that insane offense where they're averaging 50 points a game. Texas was running jet tempo with Colt McCoy. And one Mm -hmm. of the reasons why Texas was able to survive, yes, you had Colt McCoy, but you also had that really good work. Working relationship with Will Muschamp and Dwayne Aquino. Yeah, yeah, you're right. No, it's it's crucial, man. And so I
2: like I said, it may not be a big deal at all, but if you're looking at what could become an issue mm-hmm. or just anticipating, that would be something.
0: If you were to diagnose and look at it, well, what yeah. went wrong? But, what, what's different with PK system? is exactly. like that's a big difference.
2: Yeah, well, and I think the front is just going to – the front so talented. Mm-hmm. Well, not not the entire front, but DeMarvion Overshone is going to be um, – he's going to be awesome this yeah. year, in my opinion. I think he's going to be great. I think he's going to end up being all Big 12 caliber type linebacker, which is saying a lot because the Big 12's got really good linebackers this
1: year. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> uh, Baylor's got uh, – was it Jalen? Terrell,
1: Terrell Bernard. Terrell Bernard. He
2: Jaylen and Pinchy. J.D. Pennington, which is also a really good linebacker. You got uh, Malcolm Rodriguez at uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State; was a good linebacker too. So you got some decent linebacker play. But I digress. My point is, I think Overshaw is going to be great. I Also, think that defensive. And I love my favorite thing coming out of, and I really second scrimmage because I haven't heard reports about it in the second scrimmage. But I did hear about it in that open practice that Alfred Collins is working with the defensive ends now. I saw it with
1: my own eyes. Uh, yeah, he
2: is in that room. But, lo- yeah. uh, to me, that to me that just. That's why I love Pete Kudkowski. Figure out a way to put your best 11 men on the field. And I'm sure he was racking his brain like, how the hell am I going to get more of these interior D linemen on the field? i got to get more of these interior D linemen on the field. I I said it on the Long Run Blitz podcast, a couple of podcasts, you got to mm-hmm. figure out a way to get more of them interior D linemen on the field. Just like uh, Carl Bull Reese did it when he had Cedric Woodard and Casey Hampton and Big Sean Rice. He's like, no, no, I'm playing all 3 i You're playing all three? I'm playing all three. And I'm going to move Aaron Humphrey to the defensive end spot, and we'll be fine. Figure out a way to put your best eleven out there. If you're doing that defensively, and I know PK was – it includes more than two interior D linemen. Yeah. It does; it just has to. <laughs> I it told you has
1: that to. story. That story Dave Aranda told when I was down at coaching school when we got to chop it up with Dave Aranda for a little bit, and he was talking about just his his coaching odyssey and mm-hmm. maximizing personnel. And he was talking about when he was at Hawaii, they had a oh, really good group of interior defensive linemen. So he said, "Hey, he said, We're, you're playing a defensive end who's like six foot two eighty, but." he's one of your best 11 you gotta get him on the field <laughs> I gotta get him on the field I'm just trying and to get him on out, the field moving Alfred Collins out there I, I still think you're stu- and that's just that just goes to show you it's Pete Kwiatkowski like you said Rod Good coaches are problem solvers it's yep. him looking at that interior defensive line depth and say where does Alfred Collins help me more as my number three defensive tackle or now. does he help me more as my number two edge guy behind Jacoby Jones come on at that jack position exactly
0: And I looked it up. (laughs) I brought this up to Rod before the show, but uh, it piqued my interest because we talked about it this summer when we were asked about the D-line and how big a guy like Vernon Broughton could be or Alfred Collins could be because of their ability that, who knows, maybe they could bump out and play on the outside. If you look last year, and this is according to Pro Football Focus, but on the D-lineman alignment stat counts, you go and see that Taquan Graham played at all four spots where you're playing nose, you're playing... D tackle, you're playing over the tackle and playing outside the tackle. The only other two players that got any snaps at all four spots. Where Alfred Collins, who had multiple ones, and Vernon Broughton did mm-hmm. it last year. And that's in a, a small amount of snaps that he even got on the field. So those guys were already into that situation and being put into it in game mm-hmm. situations, which means they practiced it, definitely, yep. I would assume. And that's big just having that and knowing that ability's there.
2: Yeah, we talked about it. I've heard, not because I heard it from the players and the recent media availability. Murrow Ojimo talked about how he's played. Nose tackle, mm-hmm. D tackle, and play defensive end. Um, I heard Jacoby Jones talking about it too. He said, "Oh man, I played DN." He said, "I played the three technique, and I had to." So that's a guy, Jacoby Jones, another guy that can play multiple shades up front. So I think it just helps you. With PK, like I said, he's so brilliant at coming up with these really elaborate, uh, exotic fronts. Mm-hmm. Having guys, having talented guys that can play multiple shades like that, he's gonna just be. Oh, uh, it's it's an embarrassment of riches. Yeah, and he's the
0: type of guy that it's going to be like those Amoeba defenses you'll see like the Cardinals throw out from time to time. Oh, yes. And they they do it with people like Buda Baker on the back end too. That's a former PK guy. But you see the way that they line up pre-snap. So many confusions, and PK did that at Washington. And with these body types, you can do that, and you can almost engineer the mismatch that you want against a certain guy if it's power, speed, whatever you want. Can I, can I just
1: mention something real quick about that Jacoby Jones availability? I know sometimes the media availabilities with players it can get to a point where it's kind of mundane and you're expecting the same responses because that's just the way mm-hmm. college media availabilities with players work. I was really impressed with Jacoby Jones. Like, gave yeah. some really thoughtful answers. Like, I'd I had asked it. him uh, – I forgot the way I phrased the first question. Oh, I just asked him about, hey, you know – with the Quan Graham leaving Joseph O. Saigon, I said, What was his sense of urgency in January? And he talked about getting his body right and losing mm-hmm. weight. So, yes, then, I heard that. so then I asked the follow up. And then some guys, they won't go into details. They say, Oh, well, uh, you know, I'm down. And I thought Jacoby Jones gave a really thoughtful answer when I asked him about where did he play at last year? Where is he now? And where is he comfortable weight wise? And he said there was a point in 19 when he first got to campus where he said he was playing at 277 and said he felt terrible. Mm. Just didn't feel like he could move, felt he was too big because you're playing that four-eye yeah. technique in that Todd Orlando defense. That's Going to 20, he got he played last year about 265-ish. Mm. Said he felt a little bit better, but you know still didn't feel like he – was full go. Now he's about 255 and said this is where he feels great and he really you know, worked in January, started eating right, wanted to cut weight and get lean. Paid off for him. And gave this whole big long explanation about that, kind of that process. I was like, yeah, that's, that's really impressive. Yeah. I, I really, really appreciated the thoughtful answer. So, shout out Jacoby Jones. I'm sure you're not listening to this right now, but yeah, shout out regardless.
2: No, I enjoyed. I enjoyed it. talking about how he's, how he's an artist too, right? Yeah, even on the field, he's an artist. No, I enjoyed the Jacoby Jones uh, media. What he looked, said was I, good. at the
1: end of the to talking about his body he said, "If you look like a Ferrari, you'll move like a Ferrari." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> here's, so we talked about quarterback. As once we record next week, we should have a depth chart to talk about. Anything, Rod, that you're looking forward to seeing on that depth chart, that first depth chart that comes.
2: ooh out. Because um, next well, week's show, we're going to be talking mostly about Louisiana. Other than quarterback, yeah. of course. Let's just throw that out there. But um, out um, the linebacker position, because I'm thinking about everything else. You know, O-line I, we we talk about O-line a lot, but it's not a lot of mystery to it. I think the O-line, the first five have been – if you want to look behind that, that is, I want to say, to me, even, of concern. Even
1: that group. It's, it's,
2: but it's even that group, we pretty much know Tope the three. Amade,
1: Andre Carrick, and Hayden Connors pretty much. The, I'll say right? maybe the so, wild card offensive line-wise, though, is Isaiah Hookfin. Okay, Coming true. back from the injury, he's working a backup left tackle. Man, you just look at Hookfin go through drills and you're like, okay, that guy looks like he should be really good. Mm -hmm. That's what you draw up an offensive tackle to look like. Yeah, with him, it's just it's not a matter of can he play or not. It's been it's been injuries. Yeah,
2: no. And by the way, speaking of O line, loved Kyle Flood's media availability. Yeah, that guy is fantastic. (laughs) He really is. He's great. He even called out city Bear because city Bear must have been in like a recliner or a lazy Set, boy Sandra when he was Golden doing the media like availability. Big, it's back. like, you know,
1: when you go to the first store, you see the big chair and a half. It's like a chair. And then with a, like a, the, the Andre the Giant size <laughs> chair, seth has got one of those big chairs. Uh, well,
2: it look, must have looked comfortable because Kyle big Flo was like, chair, he's though. like, yeah, you win the award for like the best chair. And then city Bear must have given him thumbs up. And then Kyle Flo and Kyle's mom was like, no, nah, that's an Aggie thing. We don't do that around here. <laughs> oh, it was awesome. <laughs> Awesome, man. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I yeah, love That's a cool. good line right there. Uh, it was a good line. It was a good line. But anyway, a mystery. Going back to your question. Uh, no mystery on the old line Not a lot of mystery other than quarterback about with the offense, honestly, because I think we know how the wide receiver position is going to work. I think Xavier Worthy is going to end up starting wide receiver for Texas as a true freshman. I mean, those are
1: your top four. do Don't. And I heard with Jordan Whittington out that Xavier Worthy and – Joshua Moore, they were lining up all over the place. In yeah, game. yeah. Nice. Oh, uh,
2: that we knew that was going to be part of Sark's. Just, to, just yeah. to confirm, though. Just, uh, well, Sark's even said that. He said that before. Yeah. Like, he said, like, I. He said, no, we believe in position. He hadn't said it, but I'm saying it. Position fluidity. He didn't. I'm paraphrasing. Worthy,
1: Joshua Moore, who apparently played his tail off on Saturday, yeah. was really good, and then. Worthy Moore and Jordan woodington those are your top three receivers.
2: He said Joshua Moore would be the MVP if you had to give out that kind of award uh, are for. He three touchdowns, I think.
1: Uh, that's what I'll say. And then another yeah. big catch on the first drive that set up a Hudson card rushing yeah. touchdown.
2: Which yeah. is no surprise to me. Like I said, last year, and I had the numbers, um, but no need to pull them out because we're moving on. But that, you know, in the slot, he's really, really effective. Go back to the Oklahoma game and watch him where he lines up in the slot a ton and they, they move him around, and that's probably his most productive game overall. But I'd say mystery-wise, I want to see what the other linebacker spot opposite uh, my man Overshone is. Is it mm-hmm. Luke Brockermeyer? Did he earn the spot?
1: Be, I think it's going to be Luke Brockermeyer. Okay. As we sit here today, I think it's going to be Luke Brockermeyer. Mm. And, hey, just prepare yourselves, Longhorn fans. Kai Money's going to be on that depth chart. Kai Money's going to be in that 2 deep. That means he's earned it. Hey, a new said staff. it. Guys had all off season to take that job from him and mm-hmm. knock him out of that pecking order. And I don't think anybody's done it. Kymon is going to be in that two deep. It's happening. Next week, we will talk about the two deep, and we will talk about an actual game, Texas and Louisiana. We're game week on our next podcast. We will break it all down. Then, Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod, we appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Price and coverage match limited by state law. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 104.91019 1019 AM 1260. Streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com where you can catch Rod B., each and every weekday from three to seven as par, part of RBKD. Shameless book. Gotta get the name of the show right now. <laughs> uh, you can catch myself and Craig Way each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. thanks to Matt, you get all of our archives. Our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Don't forget to search Horns 24/7. Anywhere you get your podcast, click the follow button to get every episode of Longhorn Blitz. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. And don't forget for all the latest news, notes, and nuggets on the team on the recruiting trail, get to Horns 24/7. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24/7 family. I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. You ready for this? Yeah. If is the most original and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday, experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If Ready PG.